0: Hello and welcome to Culture Sex Relationships. Um, I'm Justin Hancock. I'm delighted to be chatting today with Elsie Whittington. Hello Elsie.
1: Hi, I'm very excited to be here and have a good conversation.
0: Yeah, me too. So Elsie is a lecturer and youth worker at the Manchester Centre for Youth Studies at Manchester Metropolitan University. She's one of the leading voices in consent education (laughs) as part of the sexuality and relationships education for young people. Um, which is a field I work in, as you probably know. Um, Excellent paper, Rethinking Consent with Continuum, Sex, Ethics and Young People, is published in the journal Sex Education by Routledge. It's out tomorrow, isn't it? Is that right? Uh, You just gave me like, this is very timely. It's actually come
1: out today. Today? Uh, Oh, many congratulations. I've I've been tweeting away this morning. Um, It's
0: it's a really excellent paper. And uh, uh, so, um, yeah, go read it. Um Thanks. and what I one of the things I really like about it is that, you know, it's an academic paper, but it, it's um really uh clearly written, you know, a lay person interested in this topic or a sex educator would totally get it, you know. It's really great stuff. I look a lot for it, so thank you for sending it over.
1: Cool, thank you.
0: Um as you might know, uh, also, uh, dear listener, that I also work in the field of consent, and I've actually got a book out. I don't think I've mentioned this yet, but because um, I'm really very good at selling books, selling my own stuff. So I've got a book coming out on January the 5th for, written for uh, young people Can We Talk About Consent? a book about freedom choices and agreements um it aims to go beyond the basic binary legalistic notions of consent which we're going to talk about in this episode and expands the definition to talk about agency power choices social scripts collective agency solidarity privilege and empowerment um but with lots of practical advice about how to put consent into practice using everyday examples um like choosing a chocolate bar eating a pizza with someone or figuring out what the hell to watch on netflix which uh um oh, it's we a daily all issue it, yeah that's we like, all find yeah. it really
1: difficult and I yeah. have to say I have had a sneak peek of your book that's out in January and I think it's really great and it's oh. it's one of the things that we've been able to have a conversation about recently and and I guess that's brought us together to have this conversation because I think you know you've got so much experience of working in and talking particularly to young people um about thinking about consent and it's something that adults of all ages find really difficult you know conversations about power and social mm-hmm. scripts mm-hmm. and I think you know the book's really colorful and it brings all this stuff out in a really um sort of simple but not oversimplified way so yeah uh, yeah
0: that's very kind of you say so thank you so much so okay we're done being up of this work now uh t- tick that let's move on Yeah, so
1: we're
0: we're talking about consent education as if it is like a um, specific thing. I mean, it is something which has been um, spoken about a lot more in uh, policy and in education circles and in uh, academic journals um, and certainly in sex and relationships, uh, educational resources. Um, It's not an area that we... I, would, I don't want to speak entirely for you, but I think it's an area that still needs a lot more work and there are lots of reasons for that. Um, but also, just to start this off, like to talk about what is consent education, uh, we were talking beforehand, Elsie, about how um, there are problems even by, uh, by the term consent education as if it is a discrete topic that we can teach separately to anything else. Do you want to unpack a little bit more about that for us?
1: Yeah, I guess I think it's interesting because I've now spent you know qu- quite a long time talking about and teaching consent education and the more research that i do and the more conversations i have with people the more that we know that consent's complicated mm. and it's part of our everyday life mm. um and so the idea that we're just gonna develop this this one thing that is consent education that mm. that's like a slot in you know you do a session on it or you do it's part yeah. of your sex and relationships education Um, feels not doesn't feel right or it doesn't feel like we're doing justice to this idea of like a more kind of ethical consensual culture Mm. um, which is a big part of of what we need to kind of shift towards in general and I guess one of the things that that I've found or that that I'm like grappling with a bit in my work is like I don't know if I like talking like I don't want to call it consent education Mm. um in a sense I just I want it to be like being a decent person and it's something that we talk about um, but it's really difficult and I think if you are you know trying to run workshops with sex educators or if you're writing blogs you know we we use the term consent but often we want to be talking about power and negotiation and pleasure all mixed up together and consent's kind of become that umbrella term for some of that stuff.
0: I think that's a really important point because I think that when people talk about consent uh, and they frame it in this kind of quite narrow way, which we're going to go on to talk about in a second, it's almost as if it's something which can exist over there outside of yeah. someone else, someone's lived experiences, rather than thinking about, if we were to think about um, agency, so our power to make decisions, our, uh, I call it... A uh, power for clout um, like our our everyday ability to make decisions for ourselves and for us to do us and for us to share our agency with others and have collective agency and to think about freedoms and choices like this is a thing that we encounter literally the minute of our every minute of our waking day uh whether it's um self-consent and the choices that we're making for ourselves whether we're navigating social scripts the kinds of things that we're told that we should be doing with our lives or also just being at school or in the workplace and our relationships with others that are non-sexual and thinking about power and freedoms and giving people choices and thinking about whether we are doing something for us and how that overlaps with someone else and also to be able to address the ambivalences in mm. that stuff it's something we're all dealing with all of the time and so to suggest that it's something that belongs in one lesson for 14 and 15 year olds and it's over there and it's not something we have to do yeah. i think you're right it's um i think if we frame it in, the, in that way that you talked about with the, that it's about ethics um then and how we respect each other's freedoms and how we mm. can all um boost each other's freedoms can all give each other more and more freedoms Um, contingent with other people's freedoms. That's the, the important work. Yeah, for sure so um, we're going to talk first of all about binaries and definitions this is something that in your paper you framed it really really nicely that um, often when we talk about consent we're talking about um, there being consent or there being an absence of consent uh, and these kind of binaries of there's yes and no and often uh, the the phrase used is you know yes means yes and no means no and consent is simple and consent is like non-negotiable you have to have it in order to do something and if someone and uh, if someone says no you definitely should do it but also I would say I say in my book that the absence of a no doesn't mean a yes it's like it's still very binary kind of thinking Mm. and we both want to kind of get beyond this but the let's talk about the problems of this kind of uh the binaries of, of yes or no um
1: yeah I guess I mean I think the yes and the no sounds really definitive doesn't it it's like really clear it's really decisive it's that idea that you know i i might say yes to something like i might even say yes to doing this podcast and at the end we might be like oh that was rubbish mm. but we don't want to we actually don't want to publish it um but because we said yes at the beginning we feel like we should follow through with that yeah. and so i i think that often when we're talking about yes means yes and no means no it doesn't create enough space for a lot of the indecision that we experience mm-hmm. or a lot of the unsureness that we have like sometimes Mm -hmm. I'm not 100% sure I want to do something or I'm not 100% sure I don't want to do something and actually what Mm. I need which is part of kind of good consent processes is to slow things down so I can feel my way through something Mm -hmm. um, and figure out how I feel and there's a lot of oh
0: yeah it doesn't really allow for that ambivalence like we don't know what we want as well sometimes
1: yeah and I think that's really missing from a lot of Consent education, consent campaigns, conversa- mm. com- campaigns, um, yeah. conversations that that people are having about sexual desires and boundaries, mm. is that that like figuring out space and how messy and awkward and um, and unsure it is, and that that mm. actually needs to become part of the story that we tell about sex, is that there is some messy, unsure, awkwardness. Yeah. Um,
0: but there's also this legalistic framing as well as which is quite there's, there's a bit of paradoxes going on here but when people say you know when people talk about um the sexual offenses act 2003 which is the like the the, the big um uh, legislation that frames uh, the sexual offenses <laughs> that we have in the uk uh, that when we talk about when 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 we particularly when we're framing um content as being about whether someone was raped or not mm. um that's um, that is that is another kind of unhelpful binary as was this legal or illegal? You know, was an offence committed or hmm. not committed? Um, which doesn't take into account that there um, there are still a lot of harm uh, somewhere in between in, in that area between uh, crime committed, and crime not committed. Um, yeah, but also. Um, it's kind of, it's strange when people have this kind of legalistic framing of like, you know, is this rape or not? Because actually there are many sexual offences and there are many ways that the, and the way that the sexual offences have been interpreted and are prosecuted and the CPS guidelines are much more nuanced and kind of people give a lot of credit for. and Yeah, I it's think it's,
1: the, yeah, it's interesting because I think people talk about the law being very black and white mm. and there are some grey areas, there's places for interpretation, you know, there's yeah. different um different categories of offense according to what body parts and what genitals you have you know so it's it's not as simple as um doing x equals um and also it's not as simple as i've had this experience and i want to criminalize it um or i want to talk about it in legal terms and actually what i need to do is figure out what it means for me and my boundaries and how i can hold someone accountable if that's safe and what how do i want to do that Mm.
0: But it does feel, I guess, for people who, are, who um, aren't who are feeling very secure about teaching this or aren't feeling very secure about talking about it, there is an incentive to frame it in this kind of legalistic thing. You feel on safe ground if you're talking about, well, the law says that um, it's this. And actually, if you look at the legal definition of consent, it's not that bad. It is about... Um, it is about freedom choices and agreement that's why mm. I subtitled the book that um, but also there are other binaries at play here as well so it's this binary of that there is always someone who is seeking to get consent from someone and the other person who will give them that consent yeah like um, the which...
1: seeker and the giver and that, that that comes up a lot when i've talked to like loads. so the the work that that i i've done is often like i'm talking to often teenagers or younger mm. adults people under 25 to talk about, you know, what does consent mean to you? How would you describe it? Tell me about the process that you think should happen. Mm. And there's this idea of a seeker and a giver, and it's often um, very kind of uh, heterosexual in lots of ways. So this Mm -hmm. idea that the man must seek the permission Mm -hmm. of a woman if it's a heterosexual encounter. Mm -hmm. Um, And we see that coming up a lot, and that's also... um, you know reinforced by a lot of laws and a lot of ideas around um a kind of yeah gendered scripts and who's allowed to be sexual and who's not
0: yeah that's the thing it's um that that, that really mapped onto the power structures in play and a lot of heterosexual um uh social or sexual scripts so the 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 uh the kinds of uh normative expectations of heterosexuality but that also feeds into normative expectations of um non-heterosexuality as well so things like tops and bottoms and Mm. who's the dominant who's the submissive the idea that there is always going to be someone in power yeah. Uh, and that it's on that person to ask the other person and that, that then that consent only operates on that kind of will you allow me to do this to you um what I really like from your paper is when you start to so you're doing focus groups with young people is that right kind of well not focus groups it's more like participatory yeah doing workshops doing so basically people. I yeah.
1: yeah I run interactive activities and and I guess it's also that idea of undoing the binary of like the expert researcher or academic asking yeah. young people you know it's, it's actually I was learning together with them we're doing loads of activities mm. of what does consent mean to you how is it different in different contexts mm. and, and we do a lot of learning so at the beginning we might define consent then we might have some difficult conversations and then we might mm. redefine it later yeah.
0: um, so it's this kind of iterative um process but the when you when you start off working with young people the um you say that uh, you know if you were if you were just to go in cold and do a focus group with a group of young people and ask them for their views on consent, they do this third party um, kind of thing that they? they kind of report on on the narrative of what it is that they should say in the yeah, situation. Totally. So there might yeah. be what you term as uh, being like they might kind of deliberately say politically correct answers because they think that you're wanting to trip them up and make them look like they don't get it. And actually, what you're wanting them to do is to get over this kind of what they've picked up from society and what they might have picked up from sex education and to start to see it as something more complex and when they do that they come is really really it's really interesting yeah and that's work. the best
1: learning isn't it you yeah. know we we know that and i and i find it too you know if if when i have to talk about you know people have been like oh what would your definition of consent be and i'm like yeah. oh i don't know how i would actually define it because um i think it's quite individual i think it's you know it's done differently in different moments um and i don't know if there is a right answer like i think there's like good ethical ways of negotiating power whether it's in sexual counters or not Mm -hmm. um but yeah i so i i find and you know i've i've done it i've done all these activities myself with groups Mm -hmm. of young people too you know and so my first you know define consent in 10 words or fewer Mm -hmm. i'm like consent is agreeing you know we we all bring in those ideas and then by the end of a session we're like oh yeah actually it's not necessarily about agreeing it's about like figuring out what you want um well
0: I think this is a lot of what goes on with a lot of um consent education which is happening at the moment and things like with the things like with the tea and consent video or young people being shown videos other uh, other forms of videos and asking them to say okay well what what this is what consent is, what do you think are is consensual in these situations or not? It's the that there is very much a, you know, define for me this this thing or define for me what consent is and what consent isn't is kind of another binary, I think, as well. Yeah, rather it's than it being it, yeah we'll go on to this in a bit where we talk about agency and embodiment, that really it's it also does need to be something that you feel. Like to to what extent is it uh useful for us to be able to spot, you know a clip in EastEnders or a child sexual exploitation video um, made by a charity or the government or something, be able to point to say, something and say, well, that's um, non-consensual. But actually, when you're in a relationship and you're in a dynamic, you, it's you, what you need are the tools to navigate it and the tools to figure it out for yourself and to, figure, yeah. to understand what your own agency is as well. Yeah. Um, and, and, and to you mean have and that really also don't. you don't
1: beat yourself up as well, like, you yeah. know, if you've got this idea of this is the perfect model of consent that we should all be aiming for, yeah. you know, like, this is what I've done a PhD on, and I definitely don't do consent perfectly every time. Um, and so it's, it's really important that it is like, you know, I'm in transition, I'm always figuring out how to be more consensual or how to be more ethical in my encounters with people. Um,
0: well, i think this let's move on to the importance of continuums and this is the basis yeah. of your this is the, the the basis of your article and it's like a basis of uh, a lot of your work is the importance of bringing in continuums um listeners to the make john and justin episodes of um culture sex relationships will be quite familiar with the idea of spectrums and mm. talk about spectrums of sexuality spectrums of um uh gender uh, and and um Different kinds of spectrums of relationship models and things as well, and the usefulness of of understanding things in terms of a continuum or a spectrum. Uh, can you say a bit about this? The um, the context of this in your in your paper, the the the, the, the way, why it is that it is useful to bring in uh, yeah. a continuum here?
1: I think um, so. It's like it's a really important part of kind of queer theories, feminist mm-hmm. theories, like you know undoing the binary that's a lot of what we're we're about and and there's some really great work that's like kind of formed the basis of a lot of our sexual violence intervention and support mm-hmm. that um that uh was was thought up by uh, liz kelly who's a, a really um well-known feminist um scholar and But her continuum was about a continuum of sexual violence Mm -hmm. and we talk about this a lot in sex education too of like it's often very risk focused, we just focus on the negative side Mm -hmm. of things Um, and so when we're talking about consent we're often talking about consent in relation to how not to -hmm. end up inadvertently or purposefully doing sexual violence essentially. Mm -hmm and so how can we expand like extend the spectrum or the continuum to thinking in a more positive pleasurable like mm-hmm. we might call it sex positive kind of a way mm-hmm. um and so there's some yeah i i've kind of drawn on you know years of feminist mm-hmm. and and queer scholarship and activism and work around consent um mm to help with this thinking of you know it's it's not actually helpful for us to think about something as simply good or bad Mm. um or you know violent or not violent but actually Mm. to think about where does it lie on this spectrum Mm. and when i um whenever i talk to whether it's young people or adults about um sexual consent pleasure sexual violence Mm. everyone's all you know kind of wants to talk about gray areas and all the young people that I would work with would kind of frame things along this continuum of somewhere from you yeah. know the the more kind of extreme end where we might put um rape sexual violence things that we see as overtly violent and mm. um, things that we might call the police about or not depending mm-hmm. um and then on the other end, this kind of like enthusiastic consent idea, you know, it's really active, it's really communicative, mm-hmm. this kind of what we might think of as the ideal end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, everyone was more talking about this more in-between end. So this, mm-hmm. what 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 we've called kind of passive consent, the kind of going mm-hmm. with the flow, the seeing how it feels, the not necessarily mm-hmm. saying an explicit yes, um, but being happy to to figure it out and see what what happens um and then so many of the young people that i work with and you know i think i do it myself sometimes you know i talk about things as non-consensual rather Mm. than using a more kind of legal language around rape or sexual violence
0: Um, can we talk about that for a second as well just because um you know the there is like a difficult a difficulty here because we um we know that there is an under reporting and uh, under prosecuting um, of um, of rape and other sexual offenses under the Se- sexual offenses Act um, a lot of this is to do with rape cult- uh, uh, rape myths that exist in our culture mm-hmm. and um, and victim blaming narratives um, and the um, so there is an under reporting so we don't want to we 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 still think that there is definitely a, an extremely important role in the criminal justice system i'm talking about the criminal justice system in terms of consent and where things are mm. illegal however when we're doing when we're talking about it in in if we only talk about it in that way there is a paradox because it actually leads to it probably would lead to an underreporting a lot of the i know that the natsal 3 um study so Natsal is the it's like a UK kind of uh it's a huge um it's a
1: massive national survey and national sexual, sexual attitudes and lifestyles
0: yeah mm. and it's uh, done every 10 years and um one of the few good things that Margaret came under the Thatcher government um and um well, yeah, it's been it's expanded over the years, and so the last um, Natsal study looked at what they termed as non-volitional sex. And mm-hmm. first of all, they explain why they talk about non-volitional sex, so sex against your will, because other studies have found that if you ask people, "Have you ever been raped or sexually assaulted?" then people in surveys will say no, because mm-hmm. that means these kind of because the narratives that brings up about like in inverted commas like victims, um, and that they want to disassociate themselves from that person, or that the perpetrator might still be someone they're in a relationship with, yeah. but they wouldn't want their perpetrator, they wouldn't want to think of their perpetrator as in averted commas, a rapist or a sexual assaulter, a, um, a criminal. So there is underreporting, and I just have like a, the anecdote I always kind of bring up here is when I was working. Uh, one-on-one with a young woman um, in a sexual health service, Um, she was describing uh, behaviours to me. And I said, well, you know, to me, that sounds like rape or sexual assault. And she said, no, 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 he's not a rapist. And I realised that I'd given her a binary to which she could say no to. And what I needed was to do this continuum thing, Elsie, and and say, well, what about this? What about this? And let's approach it this way. And how does this feel? Compare this with other times in your life and let's think about consent in that way. And then she realised... Yeah, you know, over the course of a few sessions, was like, yes, yeah, not good, and so she dumped him basically, and, mm. and, and so that is a more empowering way for people to understand where there is harm and what harm means and how they can protect themselves from harm and and how um, how they want to um, how they want that harm to be addressed, which I think is more empowering, I think.
1: Yeah, and also for people to admit they've they've done harm, it feels yeah. easier to acknowledge where you've got things wrong and Mm. to apologize but also to work on how you can do things differently in the future if you're not really scared about police involvement and I think there's I mean this is for another conversation but there's some really great work on kind of um you know defunding the police anti Mm -hmm. like decarceral anti-carceral feminism Mm -hmm. um Lola Olafumi's um, book, Feminism Interrupted, actually one of the things she says is one of the things that she thinks is a key part of like the abolitionist movement is good sex and relationships education. Yeah. Um, you know, she's got it in there of saying we need to teach people how to, to think more about power and pleasure. Um, to create a more ethical culture, full stop. You know, yeah. not just in terms of sex and, and sex crime, if that's how we're going to talk about it.
0: Yeah, the feminist, and the sex offender, confronting sexual harm, ending state violence by Judith Levine and Erica R. Miners uh, is also really good on this. It's like
1: yeah.
0: th- there are arguments to be made about um, well, is it protecting women from harm when our only recourse is to call the police? Like yeah, because absolutely. the the evidence from around the world is that the police don't necessarily protect all women equally. There are lots of other discussions to be had about that in other podcast episodes, uh, but we just wanted to flag that up here as well. Um, I guess the other important thing, uh, Elsie, that you were just alluding to before we started talking about the law and the paradoxes there around um, how we frame this is that the importance of continuums allows for this ambivalence of agency, that, um, that we don't always know what it is that we want. Mm. And particularly when we're talking about young people, um, but this is true for everyone, I think, that we don't always know what it is that we want. We don't know how something's going to be until we do it, or, you know, we might. Um, So it's okay not to be able to perfectly articulate what it is that we want, because we often just don't know. Um, Catherine Angel's got a book coming out uh, about this uh, which talks about this kind of stuff Um, tomorrow sex will be good again um, in March 2021 Um, but young people were talking about that as well weren't they um, Elsie that you know how how do we know?
1: Um, Yeah and I think there's a lot again I think sometimes like consent education or consent campaigns that really like prioritize or really like foreground this idea of like enthusiastic excited knowing consent Mm -hmm. like really informed consent of like we're gonna do this then Mm. we're gonna do this and this is how it's gonna make me feel Mm. and that's just unrealistic and actually I think it really affects a lot of people's um ways of which they like make sense of their sexual encounters um for sure so yeah I think it's (laughs) it's really important in a way that that we do create space to say there might be some unsureness and yeah. um you know you, you and and meg john have often talked about this like escalator you know yeah. of like we should do this we should do this then we should do this you know and i think that's one of the things that good consent education or sexual ethics con- education needs to say Of you know there's no specific order slowing things down is fine You know, what are safe ways for you to explore something you're unsure about?
0: It enforces this idea that it's either really enthusiastic or unenthusiastic, and that there isn't anywhere in between. But also, it overlooks the the different messages that people receive about who is allowed to be enthusiastic about sex, right? And so often this work is asking those who are stigmatised and shamed for having any enthusiasm around sex to be enthusiastic now. Mm. And so it's very difficult, for example, women uh, to be enthusiastic about sex when all the messages they receive, uh, many of the messages they receive about sex is that that's not a thing that is okay to do um and then that also is confusing for young men as well who are told that they are always enthusiastic about sex and always up for it and they're often put in a position where their ambivalence is is denied them and and not allowed and so we have to be able to frame these in the in the ways in which gendered scripts gendered should stories operate Mm -hmm. and if we're not doing that we're not really doing the thing that your work is really eliciting from young people is that it's, it's really, it's got to be real life. It's got to feel really real. And yeah. if you're just kind of using those terms, as like you were saying, like enthusiastic consent, and it's like, uh, or doing a campaign, and it doesn't feel real, then young people are just going to be like, not this again.
1: Um, yeah, and, and that's totally it. You know, we are talking before about like, grey areas in the law. Mm. Um, the age of consent in the UK is 16. Mm. Um, so many of the young people I work with, and I'm sure young people you've worked with before, you mm. know, they'll be like, but the police don't get involved if you have sex when you're 15. Yeah. Um, you know, totally true. They don't. Yeah. You know, and CPS guidance says that. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Yes.
0: very clear. Um, so long as it's consensual. So, yeah.
1: But it's also that thing of, well, why should we take this thing seriously if you're telling us, you know, you're just giving us this very black and white idea or this very clear thing that we see in real life isn't true. And I think that also reinforces, like, a bit of distrust about when people are saying, like, you must do this or you should do this. Or...
0: Well, this is a thing that really bugs me. And I think, you know, you know, I wrote this very long article at my website for practitioners, uh, com, about the tea and consent video and how much yeah. I hate it. One of the many things I really hate. I won't go through the whole thing. And um, there's been an academic paper released this year, hasn't there, about, yeah, about this? Geraldine
1: um, Brady.
0: yeah. Um, but one of the things I really despise about it is that it's um, there is a collection of adults over here who have created this, you know, a, a set of resources. Will you know anyone behind like a, a consent campaign? It's the idea that we understand it, and there are people over here who don't understand it, and we need to get to them. Rather than thinking, well, this is all something we need to understand. It's something that we all need to do more of, and also we all need to do more consent. So th- there's just this last point about consent is that. Uh, consent continuums is that there has to be the possibility for more and more consent I think consent could just be limitless within the yeah. bounds of you know how useful it is at any yeah. long time and there you reframe to it
1: too over time as well so things that I experienced as like really positive or pleasurable or consensual when I was younger I might actually put lower down on the spectrum on the on the continuum nowadays mm. because i have a different reference point as to like what is possible and how to do things and yeah. my role in it and other people's role in it
0: and that's where it has to be also useful for us as individuals isn't it and so <laughs> this links us really nicely into the next piece. very good at the second way well done you can <laughs> come again so we're going to talk about agency and embodiment and i'm just yeah. going to embarrassingly read out a quote from your piece which i really 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 like so <laughs> sorry not sorry about this so okay. you're having this conversation with a group of young people who I feel like I, I was la- there in the room with you you know when you the way that it was transcribed um, and these young men were talking about this idea of um, you kind of just know you get a sense from someone you get a vibe from someone and the way they're articulating that is really um, really gets us to this point around how consent is this kind of embodied ongoing uh, agency so I'm going to read out the quote now so many refer to feeling it or feeling and sensing their way through an encounter suggesting that consent or a broader articulation a mutual set of desires cannot be broken down into a set of series of speech acts and successive reactions Uh, so how do you feel about this yes I like this would would you like to do this no I wouldn't like this Um, The more embodied and fluid descriptions of sexual negotiation were offered by participants resonate with the Latin and French origins of the word consentia, to feel with. Which is great. Uh, this raises some questions about how best to conceptualise consent without basing it on transactional models of having, giving, and withdrawing, instead of it, uh, instead of thinking it as a process, the outcome of which can be defined as consent or perhaps consensual. Discussions with young people and exercises such as the continuum outlined above encourage us to recognise the limitations of these old expressions and responses. Um, it's such a useful way of thinking about it, and that's the. This is, I think, one of the reasons why. I think that what with consent education, which is just solely focused on spotting it and can you articulate it when you see it, misses that really consent is about embodiment. It's that moment. It's moment to moment to moment to moment and how it's feeling in your body and how it's feeling in the other person's body and being able to pick up on on that with the other person. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something I've written a, a lot about in 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 my book, uh, Can We Talk About Consent? This idea of tuning into ourselves and tuning into the other person, something Meg John and I spoke about in our book, um, A Practical Guide to Sex. Uh, which is, uh, in what ways can we um, get beyond this idea of you know being able to spot it and actually be able to practice it and be able to understand you know when it's happening and how can we bring that into uh consent education?
1: Yeah, um, I mean. But it's. I think it's really tricky because it's about undoing so much of our everyday life, and um, you know, in 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 your book, you talk about you know consent starting with the self, and and that kind of self check in and self consent, and that's something that that we're often really not encouraged to do. And if we think about schools as a really like non consensual space, like you don't really have choice about you know going which schools you go to what classes are on offer which school teacher Mm. you get you know and the ways in which you can can I suppose not consent is through dissent only isn't it it's through like doing something that's considered naughty and gets you chucked out of the classroom um or that gets your parent called in or you know if you have been like really badly bullied maybe then you can get parents or carers to to support you to change schools or to change classes but there's so much there where you know in our everyday lives things are really um unconsensual and also really fast paced too like how often yeah. do we have time to slow down and check in with ourselves and no. um and it's not it's not easy and i think you know one of the things that i've always really appreciated about like your work meg john's work other people is when people are honest about it being mm. really difficult you know and yeah. I. like yeah I find this stuff really difficult and when I go into schools it's like how much how critical can I be of a school system when I'm in here and you need to listen to me talk about consent to you
0: (laughs) This is a thing that came out in this uh, in another paper that I'll make available or uh, we'll put these in the in the show notes that uh, Sarah Bragg and a number of other people wrote um, about the dilemmas of teaching about consent in school-based systems. Is that um, often the the kinds of activities that we that young people find really useful which do give them this hint of what um of how it feels like how consent feels rather than what it is like how to take part in activities that are conceptual you literally can't do in many schools so because you know you can't move all the tables you know there just mm-hmm. isn't the space it's very hard to to understand it consent from just sitting behind your desk looking at a screen right it's um particularly as you say in a school environment that doesn't always necessarily um uh uh encourage consensual uh, behavior um that the activity that i came up with around handshakes is a good example of this that where people learn how to um uh at first what a social script of a handshake is how to negotiate a handshake and then how to tune into a handshake they they get that sense of from this quote that you read out that it is something that you that it that this isn't just like a kind of a magical vibe that happens, that there are a set of processes involved in understanding embodiment. But Mm. I think, I I guess the other broader point here is that a lot of the, a lot of um, what we're talking about when we're talking about sexuality education is the importance of being in our bodies and how that feels. And that is a tricky thing to talk about, you know, with young people who might have had really not very many experiences of that and also it's like it's icky sometimes for us to talk about an and embody yeah, and experience not, well and not but, just but. with
1: young people like what what words have we got we've got really like clinical words yeah or we've got like euphemisms and the words we use for jokes or words mm. that can be a bit derogatory yeah. and and not much else in between mm. um so you yeah. know i think it it's it's one of the things of of when we're we're teaching like younger age groups as well of mm. at what point do you start introducing the words vulva penis, vagina mm. um but are they are they words that people find sexy or but also they're very much about genitals and some of the things mm. we talk about with sex is hands, you know um forearms, like you know different mm. parts of our body where we feel excitement and you know our brain is like the key place that's processing a lot of this stuff so. Yes.
0: I guess what we can do, though, is, you know, one, what we do do with young people, because obviously the the, uh, sex education for young people is not about encouraging them to have sex uh, now. In fact, sex education is shown to delay sexual activity for young people. Um, But also... um, what we're preparing for them, preparing them for are future sexual encounters that are more likely to be consensual and maybe more likely to be pleasurable. What we can do is to get them to explore what feels pleasurable to them in a non sexual context um, or something like that. So there are ways of bringing up this idea of, um, of consent, but also ways of how we can explore um, continuous of pleasure as well. So, um, you know, uh, sex has to be consensual in order for it to be pleasurable. I Think we would say, but even those are on spectrums. Um, mm. you know, that consent might be in place, but um, and, it, and sex or any other activity with someone else might not necessarily be pleasurable, but it was at least consensual. But those things could also exist on um, on spectrums, um, which I think is also like a useful way to think about some of this stuff as well, yeah, um,
1: and also like power as well. I think like consent, pleasure, power are three really like core things that kind of weave together and affect each other and...
0: Definitely, and um, I think power is a really in, important aspect of consent education uh, or any education that really just needs to be, where power is absent in any inverted commerce campaign or set of resources, it's likely not to please me very much, I'm likely to get quite grumpy about something oh. if it doesn't mention power, I think as we all should. should. Um, because power and agency is unfairly distributed in society. Some people get are given more agency by society than others. And so, and where there are power differences, it, it makes it harder to um, negotiate, participate in consensual activity. There's more at stake for one person often. And without having recognition that that is in place, it's much harder for something to be consensual. But also, we... The structures in which consent education happens, schools, colleges, unis, workplaces who need to be paying much more attention to consent, in my view, um, unions, organize any organisation, any community and society generally need to take into account how those power um, differentials are baked in. And if, unless we're doing the thing on all of those levels to disrupt how those power differentials are baked in, is we're not really doing this really important content uh, work because we're only ever working on the individual basis. Um, yeah. You know, we could have like an individual. You know, I could sell my book to every young person in the country, but unless uh, there is like a more structural change, it's not going to have nearly as yeah, much effect. As- but I,
1: and I think part of that change there is about like enhancing a a language around it so this is also the thing about the continuum and using Mm. different words so um there are a lot of people I'm among them who would say you know this experience that you've had isn't just non-consensual it's rape but I acknowledge that for someone to even engage in a conversation about how something that happened was was bad they may not feel able to able or ready to use those words and i think yeah. by embracing kind of like different words different language but ultimately inviting people into the conversation and saying like you can talk about this stuff and also pleasure you know some people feel really uncomfortable being like oh yeah i'm um this is what i desire or um mm. i find x you know really pleasureful um mm. it might just be a case of of having a conversation like what feels good or mm. actually what doesn't feel awkward or bringing yeah. awkwardness into the conversation and I think for me that's like the key part of consent education of using like continuums of you know having this podcast having um you know i don't know watching sex education, you know no one thing is perfect, mm. but what we need to do is to just start the conversation about it and support. People to, and I think having vocabulary and feeling comfortable and confident using it is yeah. one of the best tools for recognizing things, changing things, speaking out about things.
0: Let's leave it there. So, Elsie, uh, are you the kind of person who likes to be contacted on Twitter or anything? Should we give your Twitter a shout out or uh, should we just leave it?
1: Uh, I have Twitter. I don't use it all the time, but I'm right. happy to. Fine. be contacted um if people I guess you want can... to ask about work or um yeah
0: yeah you could drop me a message as well if you didn't if uh, uh, if you want to get in touch with lc um if you, uh, yeah, I, I think this is out. going
1: to be an example of me feeding my way through it. If someone were to get in contact with me, then I'll see how I feel. Surely, <laughs>
0: um, Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining uh, me, Elsie. That was really—I uh, found that really interesting. I've learned so much from your work, and I just—I uh, hope it's one of those academic papers that is read by non-academics. You know, it's like—it's yeah. really important stuff that you're doing and really useful. Cool.
1: Well, thank um, you very much for having me.
0: That's all right. And also, I'll plug my book again. Reminder, my book. Um, uh, available to pre-order can, now. That's right. And uh, it comes out on January the 5th. Uh, can we talk about consent? On Francis Lincoln Children's Books, an imprint of Corsair Books. It's like eight ninety nine, and you can get it from, I mean, you can also, you can get it from any online booksellers or any uh, bookshop. It's uh, widely available, uh, but, you know, I encourage you to get it from indie bookshops, to indie booksellers. Uh, hive.co.uk is a uh, give uh, proceeds of their income to independent bookshops and also bookshop.org or .com. I want to say anyway, just Google it. Right, thank you so much, and until next time, bye. Bye.
1: Bye. Bye. <laughs>